when I was in seminary, uh, I got to know a pastor during that time who had worked a lot with uh, people from different religious backgrounds. And he had actually studied uh, world religions extensively. And, and one day he asked me this question. He said, Andy, what would you say makes Christianity different from all the religions of the world? If you could give me just one word that cap encapsulates the uniqueness of the Christian faith, what would it be? And I was caught off guard in that moment. Trying, what in the world, what, what word would I choose that would capture the uniqueness of the Christian faith? I felt kind of tongue-tied as I tried to think about what one word would capture it. And then he looked at me and he said, grace. Grace is a uniquely Christian idea. All other religions are fundamentally about earning something through what we do. But Christianity says that God gives us grace favor that we don't deserve and that we cannot earn. Um, you know, I've come back to that, that conversation many times uh, since then, and I think that he's right. Um, you know, there may be other words that are unique to Christianity too, the Trinity, um, justification, atonement, uh, I mean, Jesus Christ himself, um, but the, that word grace, I think, really captures the heart of the gospel um, and provides a striking contrast to the teaching of uh, world religions and also the way that our world operates in general. Um, I also discovered just along the way that C.S. Lewis gave the same answer when he was asked what made Christianity unique. So that's pretty good company to be in, you know, if, if C.S. Lewis said grace too. Um, well, this, the, this topic of grace and specifically grace alone is one of these five solas of the Reformation that we've been going through over the last few weeks. We're, we're in the middle of this, this series that we started back on uh, Reformation Sunday, um, and we often celebrate kind of the Protestant Reformation around this time of year because it was on October 31st, 1517, that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and, and Luther wanted to reform the church. He wanted to bring the church back to to the, the heart of the gospel, to back to the scriptures. Um, and the heart of those reforms that Luther was all about can be captured by five phrases, these five solas of the Reformation. And that, as I've been saying each week, that word sola um, is a Latin word that means alone. So these five alone statements. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the first sola, uh, which is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Um, and we talked about how, how Luther and the Reformers emphasized that, that Scripture alone should be our final authority for what we are to believe and how we are to live. The not Scripture plus other things, but it is Scripture alone that is our, our, our standard, our, our, our authority. Um, and then last week, we looked at the next sola, um, which is solus Christus, which means Christ alone. And we talked about how our salvation comes through Christ alone, only through Christ, um, who is, as we saw in the, the verse we looked at last week, he is the only mediator between God and humanity, the only one who has bridged that gap, who has mediated between us and God to allow us to be saved, to be justified. And today we're going to be looking at the next sola, which is sola gratia, which means grace alone. And the text that we're going to focus on, um, on for this particular sola is uh, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 10. Another letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Ephesus, and uh, it's on page 827 in the Pew Bible if you'd like to follow along there. Um, and so, uh, so Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Hear God's word to us today. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this powerful uh, passage, Lord, in Ephesians that um, speaks so powerfully of your grace and how you have expressed that grace to us, Lord, in Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear uh, your word today, that you would soften our hearts to receive uh, this message, this word, and that you'd help us to understand it more fully, and that uh, it would change us, Lord, our hearts, Lord. And so speak Holy Spirit, we pray now, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, similar to what, what I've kind of been doing the last uh, couple weeks, I want to start with just uh, sort of the basic question, what does grace alone mean? When we use that phrase, grace alone, what, what, does, that, what does that mean? Well, a common definition for that word grace is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor, unearned favor. It, it means showing favor and blessing and love towards someone, but not because they've earned those things, not because they deserve them, but simply as a free gift, giving love and favor to someone who doesn't deserve it. Um, in the context of the Reformation, the, that, that phrase grace alone meant that we are saved only by God's undeserved, unearned favor to us. That that is the only way that we can be saved is for God to be gracious to us, for him to show this unearned, undeserved favor. We do not deserve salvation. We cannot earn salvation. It is all grace, a free gift from God. Um, and so in our text, Paul says in two different places in our text, both in verse five and also in verse eight, it is by grace you have been saved. So he puts it very clearly there, right? It is by grace you have been saved. Our salvation is completely dependent on the fact that God has chosen 
to show us grace. He's chosen to show us undeserved, unearned favor. Um, And we see both of those realities throughout this text in Ephesians 2, both the fact that God shows favor to us and also the fact that it is undeserved, it is unearned. Um, So so where do we see kind of just God's favor that he shows towards us? Um, In verse four, Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. And then he goes on to say, because of that, what he's done for us, that, that he's saved us. He's, he's done, proclaimed this, this salvation. But he's, he grounds it in the fact that God has this great love for us and that he is rich in mercy. So this is part of God's, his, his, his approach towards us, his, his favor upon us. Um, and, and in verse seven, Paul talks about God showing the inco- incomparable, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. So God has chosen to be kind to us, to have mercy on us, to show this great love toward us. But here's the key. All of this, we do not deserve it. And we have not earned it. It is not something that we have somehow shown that we, that we earn and, and prove that, 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 that God's love towards us. No, grace, again, means undeserved, unearned favor. But this idea of undeserved, unearned favor, it is so at odds with our world and with the way that many of us tend to think. Um, I was at a, a conference, I'm actually right around the end of October, um, down in San Diego, that, that uh, the, the focus of the conference was looking at the writings of C.S. Lewis. And I love C.S. Lewis. Um, I've, I grew up reading a lot of his, his writings when I was younger. And uh, one of the, the writings that was highlighted in, in that uh, conference is this book that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Great Divorce. Um, and, and what he's talking there, that, that title, The Great Divorce, he's talking about, as you can see in this, this picture, the divorce, the, the, the blocking between heaven and hell. There is this great divorce, this great separation that, that, that occurs. Um, and what C.S. Lewis does in this book is he, he kind of tells this very imaginative story um, that, that speaks some truth, but, but as I go to get into it, don't take it too literally, okay? Because it's meant to be fiction. It's meant to be an imaginative story where he imagines um, these residents of hell on this bus ride to the outskirts of heaven. And as they get to this place, these residents of heaven come and meet them. And they actually begin to try to, to, to tr- convince these, these, these residents of hell to, to come with them into heaven with them, right? Again, not True, not, not, this is fiction, right? The, imagining that, not meant to t- be taken literally, but there's something that's powerful that happens in the encounters between these two individuals that I think speaks into our life here on earth. So in one of those encounters, um, a man uh, f- from, from hell who's on this bus who Lewis calls the big ghost, um, he meets someone who's coming from heaven whose name is Len. And the big ghost knew Len from his earthly life. And he knew that Len had murdered someone that the big ghost knew. And, and so when, when this, this big ghost sees this guy, Len, coming toward him, who he knows is a murderer, coming from heaven, he is in shock. He is confused. Why in the world would this guy be in heaven? And so he actually, he says to Len, what I'd like to understand is what you're here for. You, a bloody murderer. Well, I've been walking the streets down there and living in a place like a pigsty all these years. Personally, I'd have thought you and I ought to be the other way around. 
And he goes on to say, I've been straight all my life. I don't say I had no faults, but I did my best all my life, see? I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I did my job, see? I'm asking for nothing but my rights. See, the big ghost thought that he deserved better than what he was getting. And he thought he was particular that he deserved better than what Len was getting, for sure. He felt that he had earned something better than what he was experiencing. So he appeals to my rights, what he feels he deserves. In fact, at one point he says, I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. And then Len responds, then do at once ask for the bleeding charity, capital B, capital C. He says, everything is here for the asking. Nothing can be bought. And he tells the big ghost, I haven't got my rights or I should not be here. You will not get yours either, but you'll get something far better, far better than your rights. You see, Len tries to convince the big ghost that he shouldn't be appealing to his rights to about what he's earned or what he thinks that he deserves. Len, Len knew that he did not deserve to be in heaven. He hadn't gotten his rights. He'd gotten, as he says, something far better. He'd received grace. And that's the only reason that he was in heaven. Not because he deserved it but because he had received, as he puts it, the bleeding charity, the bleeding charity of God, the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The grace that is undeserved and unearned favor. I think so many people in our world are like the big ghost and think that they don't need anyone's bleeding charity. They don't need God's grace. Right? They're, just do, they're doing just fine on their own. All they want is, is, is what they believe they've earned, what they deserve, right? I, I've lived a pretty good life. That's all I want is just to be recognized for, for that. But when we look closer at our text in Ephesians 2, we see that actually we all need God's grace. And so our only hope for salvation is God's grace alone. And so that leads us to the, this next question, which is, so why do we affirm grace alone? Why is it that, that this is our only option, <laughs> that we can only be saved by God's undeserved, unearned favor to us? Why is it that we can't somehow earn or show that we deserve something? Well, the answer is, first of all, because none of us deserves God's favor. None of us deserves God's favor. It has to be grace alone, undeserved favor alone, because we don't deserve God's favor. We can't earn it. Um, in verse three, Paul says, we were by nature objects of wrath. Uh, the, the, so the newer NIV translation says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Not only do we not deserve God's kindness and favor, but, but Paul says we actually deserve the opposite. We deserve God's wrath. Now, now, some of you might be thinking, man, that, that sounds like pretty extreme, right? I mean, why, why should we deserve God's wrath and judgment? I mean, maybe, maybe some people deserve that, right? 
terrorists, mass murderers, child abusers, they deserve God's wrath, but not us, not nice people like us. I mean, we're not that bad, are we? That is exactly the perspective of the big ghost in The Great Divorce, right? He thinks, I'm a pretty decent guy, certainly better than that Len, that murderer over there. It's also the perspective of the Pharisee in the parable that Jesus told and that we heard in our scripture reading earlier from Luke 18. The, the Pharisee that Jesus tells, he gets this, this, this Pharisee gets up and this is what he prays, right? He prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector who he sees there. He says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But at the end of, of this parable, Jesus says that this man did not go home justified by God. He did not go home declared righteous, even though he thought he was very righteous, right? For fasting and and giving a tenth of what he had and being way better than all these other more notorious sinners. Why is it that this man did not go home justified? Because none of us deserves God's favor. Think about that Pharisee for a moment. He may not be a robber, adulterer, or doing blatant evil, but he's pretty arrogant, right? He's looking down on that tax collector, thinking that he's way better than him. He is filled with pride and superiority. He's bragging about his fasting and his giving. Is he doing that fasting and giving out of love and appreciation for God? Doesn't seem like it. He's doing it sort of to boast in himself, right? And what he's he's doing. That Pharisee, he did not deserve God's favor. In the great divorce, the big ghost thinks that he was a a decent guy. But Len, again, the, the guy coming from heaven, he tells him, he says, you know what? You weren't a decent man and you didn't do your best. None of us were and none of us did. But the big ghost replies, you, you have the face to tell me I wasn't a decent chap? He's He also is arrogantly looking down on Len, just like the Pharisee was towards the tax collector. And and then Len reminds the big ghost of of the way that that he treated his workers. Actually, it turns out that Len was an employee of the big ghost. And he tells him, you know, you you made it really hard for us. He said, actually, you made it really hard for your wife and your children too. And that just, the big ghost doesn't want to hear anything from this guy. You see, as hard as we may want to hide it, we can't get away from the fact that each and every one of us is a sinner. Each and every one of us has fallen. We've, we've fallen short of, of God's standard we, in big and little ways. And in verse three of our text, this is what Paul says. He says, all of us also lived among them, that, that them is talking about, he says, the disobedient at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Because all of us have been there. We've all been in that place. Now, he's talking to those who have been saved out of that, but he says all of us have been there. And in case you're, you're not sure exactly what Paul means here by the cravings, desires, and thoughts of our sinful nature, he elaborates this on another one of his letters in, in Galatians chapter 5. Verses 19 and 20, he spells this out for us. He says, 
the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, by a show of hands, who here has never done anything on that list? I can't raise my hand either, right? There are probably some things on that list you might say, well, I haven't done that, right? Witchcraft, orgies, okay, maybe not those, right? But what about jealousy? What about selfish ambition? What about dissension, discord? See, we all gratify the cravings, desires, and thoughts of our sinful nature. None of us are innocent. And each time that we do, we are rebelling against the God who created us and the God who deserves our complete obedience and our devotion and our loyalty. He has given us life. So in light of our rebellion, Paul says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That none of us deserves to inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, as Paul says, again, after he says you've gratifying these sinfully, he says, in other words, by nature, we are objects of wrath. We deserve God's wrath. We certainly do not deserve his favor. And so the end result is that our spiritual condition is what Paul describes in verse 1, where he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. By nature, we are spiritually dead. We can't stop gratifying our sinful nature. We are lost, blind, helpless, dead. None of us deserves God's favor. And so our only hope for God to show us favor is for him to do that through his grace. By giving us undeserved, unearned favor and love. And guess what? That is exactly what he has done. That is exactly what he's done for us. In, in verses four to five, Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. God chose to love us even though we're constantly rebelling against him. He chose to show mercy to us, even though we deserve his wrath. He chose to make us alive, even though we deserve to remain dead in our sins. He chose to save us by his grace, even though we don't deserve that salvation at all. And the way that God showed us that grace, the way that he saved us was through Jesus Christ, which is what we talked about last Sunday. It was the only way he can be gracious to us is through Christ alone. What Christ did for us that allows us then to receive God's grace. That Jesus paid for our sin that deserves God's wrath. He took the wrath of God that should be ours and he took it upon himself on the cross. 
And so it is through Christ alone that God is able to show us his grace. And we see that at the end of verse 7 when Paul talks about the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us where? In Christ Jesus. That is where he has given us his kindness. It is in Christ Jesus. God's grace is expressed through everything he did for us in and through Jesus Christ. And as we saw last week, Jesus did everything necessary for our salvation. He paid for our sin in full. He satisfied the wrath of God completely. He lived the perfect life that we can't, that's now credited to us. And he rose to new life, which is now given to us, that we are now given new life. So there is nothing left for us to do. There's nothing that we can add to what Christ has done. We are, as Paul says, dead in our sins. And guess what? Dead people can't do anything. They're just dead. And so our only hope is for God in his grace to raise us from the dead, to make us alive through Christ's death and resurrection. It is all God's work from start to finish. And so that is why we affirm grace alone, because as we've been talking about, none of us deserves God's favor, so we, we need his grace, right? Because we don't deserve it. But also, we don't have to try to earn God's favor because he gives it to us freely. So we don't have to try to earn it. We don't have to try to show that we deserve it. We don't have to justify ourselves like the Pharisee was trying to do in Luke 18 to show that somehow he deserves it. That, like, like the character in The Great Divorce was, was doing. We don't have to try to show that we were a decent person who deserves God's mercy or grace. No, we can simply admit that we don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve his favor because God gives his favor freely. He gives it to us through Jesus Christ. That tax collector, the other guy in the parable, he, his, what was his prayer before God? It was simply, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He admitted he didn't deserve God's favor. He admitted he had messed up. He was a tax collector and he did not deserve to be justified by God. So he calls out for mercy. And what does Jesus say? That he went home justified. He went home declared righteous. He went home receiving the mercy that he had called out for because he called out acknowledging that he didn't deserve it. That he didn't earn it. God gave him that favor freely. In verses 8 and 9 of our text, we get just these this powerful verses that declare this with so much clarity where Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. None of us can boast about this because it is not anything about us. Paul says that not only is our salvation something we don't deserve, but, but we don't need to try to show that we somehow deserve it. It is, it says, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And a gift, by its nature, is undeserved and unearned. You can't pay someone for a gift or it's not a gift anymore, right? 
You don't have to show why you deserved a gift because you've already been given it. If it's a gift that's been given, right, you don't have to show that you deserve it. It's been given by the giver. And so what do you do with a gift? You say thank you. And then you enjoy it. You enjoy that gift. I love this quote from Martin Luther. Again, this, in this Reformation uh, sermon series that Luther says this. He says, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. We don't have to show that we don't deserve hell and death and, or why we deserve eternal life because Luther says we do deserve hell and death and we don't deserve eternal life. But he says, what of it? Because we know one who has paid for our sin in full. His name is Jesus Christ. And because of him, God has given us what we don't deserve, eternal life with him. So as we close, as I've been doing each, each of these weeks, I want to just close with this question. What is our response to this? What is our response to grace alone? I think the first thing is to maybe recognize areas where we need to repent of attempting to show why we deserve God's favor. In moments where we try to sort of say, God, this is why I, you actually owe me. This is why I deserve something from you. We need to actually repent of that because you know what? Our sinful nature wants to lift ourselves up and point to something in us that deserves God's favor. To say, this is why I'm better than those people. <laughs> this is why I deserve it and those people don't. Um, just like, again, that Pharisee in Jesus' parable, just like the big ghost in the great divorce. And so we need to repent of that, to confess that sin to God when we begin to, to boast in ourselves. Because Paul says, no one can boast. There's no boasting left. But that's what our sinful nature wants to do. And so praise God that Jesus has also paid for that sin. <laughs> for moments where we do begin to boast and think that we somehow deserve this. So we can confess that sin to him freely, knowing that he's also paid for that, and he forgives us as well. And then, next, what's our response? Is to simply rest in the undeserved favor that God has for you. There's nothing for you to do, but simply enjoy the gift that God has given you. And next week, we're going to talk about how we receive that gift through faith alone. Um, because Paul, in this passage, does say, by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? Through faith. So we receive it through faith. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. But he says that even this, he says, is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. So even our faith is something that God gives to us, that he creates in our hearts through the power of his word, the power of his gospel. It's all from him. There's nothing for us to boast about. Well, we'll talk more about that next week, so come back next week to hear about faith alone. And so if you're here today and you're wondering, is all this really true? Is, is this undeserved favor? 
is it really for me? The answer is yes, it is. It is for you. Jesus died for your sins. He loves you, even though you don't deserve it. And so believe the good news. Call out to God for his mercy, for it is for you. And then rest in what God has given you. And then finally, what do we do in response? We rejoice and praise God through our words and our deeds. What do you do with a gift? You say, thank you, and then you enjoy it, right? And so we say thank you to God by rejoicing and praising him through our words and our deeds. And in just a minute, we're gonna get to do that as we sing a song of praise to God, rejoicing in the fact that God's grace is greater than our sin. And we also rejoice and praise God through giving our lives to him in worship. And so that very last verse of our text, verse 10, says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It says that now that we've been saved by no works of ours, guess what? We are saved, so we get to do good works. Not to earn anything, not to show that we deserve anything, but simply out of praise and worship to our God for what he's done for us. We earn nothing through those works. We deserve nothing because of them. We simply do them out of worship and praise to our God because God has already prepared for for them in advance for us to do. He's even prepared that for us. As Paul says, we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece that he is working on in us. He's transforming us. He's sanctifying us. He's making us into this beautiful masterpiece that is filled with love and, and good works, not because we have to earn anything, but simply out of worship to our God and out of love for our neighbor who needs those works, who needs that love. Because we've received grace, we can now show grace to those around us. And so brothers and sisters, we do not deserve God's love or favor, but God has chosen to show it to us anyway. You are saved by grace alone. And so rest in this good news today that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Let's pray. Lord, all we can say is thank you. Thank you for giving us this undeserved favor and love for showing us grace. Humble us, Lord, to a place where we recognize that, that this is our only hope. There's nothing we bring. There's nothing we can earn. There's nothing we can point to to show why we deserve something from you, God, but that we can just admit that we need mercy and call out like the Pharisee, like the tax collector, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need you. I need your grace. And thank you that when you hear that, Lord, you pour out your grace upon us. You justify us. Thank you. Thank you for giving us this amazing gift of salvation that we do not deserve, but that you love to give because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.